Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The race is on, and Haas has announced that Pietro Fittipaldi will make his Formula 1 debut as stand-in for the injured Roman Grosjean at this weekend's Sakia Grand Prix. But how good is he, and what does it mean for Brazil to have a driver back on the F1 grid? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to answer those questions in this episode of the Race F1 Podcast Extra are Val Harunji and Lito Cavalcanti. Well, it's a slightly different format for this podcast. It's split into two conversations. The first with our junior single-seater expert to take a look back at Pietro Fittipaldi's career in detail so you know what to expect from the 24-year-old. Then we'll have the Brazilian perspective from Lito Cavalcanti to look forward to after that. But first up, here's Val Hurunji. Well, Val, thanks very much for joining us all the way from Moscow. Pietro Fittipaldi, he's a driver... Obviously, I'm aware of, I followed him from afar, but I don't have a great handle on him. So what can you tell us about him? Is he any good, I guess, is the big question F1 fans will be asking. Um, Pietro Fedebaldi has uh, four titles in car racing. So to answer, is he any good? The answer is yes. If you're not any good, you don't win any titles in car racing usually. Maybe one or two if you're really lucky. Is he F1 good? Um if I'm being honest, like, is he full-time F1 driver good? Has he done something in his career that made me think that he would be a, a full-time F1 driver over all of the other juniors around him? No, not really. And that probably, that wasn't looking like it was going to change anytime soon because his junior career is pretty much done and dusted for a couple of years now. And he's been doing a, a very eclectic variety of racing with some intermittent success. Um and also a pair of broken legs and a spa wet crash. But is he any good? Yes, but not F1 good, would be my summary. Yeah, that seems fair, because you've mentioned he won four titles, but the, the four titles he's won are... They're, they're not sort of frontline titles, shall we say. Obviously, the most significant one, the most recent one, was the World Series Formula V8 3.5 title, as it was called in 2017, which is a continuation of the old Renault World Series. And yeah, you can only beat what's in front of you, but it wasn't a huge grid... And it wasn't a, a massive amount of full-time drivers. So I guess that sort of says the sort of level. You've still got to be good to do that. But in yeah, in this question of oh, a driver who's going to force their way into F1 in normal circumstances, not so much. But I guess this is what happens sometimes with drivers like this, don't they? They get a one-off chance. Clearly, he's going to be competent. But it's whether he can turn this into something long-term, I guess. He's absolutely going to be competent, especially because uh, he's... You know, he's taken all the chances that he's had of driving all sorts, all sorts of different machinery. Obviously, he's 
had some F1 mileage. He's had some World Endurance Championship mileage, both in as part of the aborted campaign with Dragon Speed and uh, the young driver test with Porsche. He's done six IndyCar races with Dale Coyne. I believe he was going to do his full Super Formula career, but the, the WEC accident cut that short. He's a very, very a driver with a very wide range of weird experience for for 24 like a bit old school in that regard because usually even even if you have a a big amount of budget you usually tend to focus on one thing if you're sean galile you do uh five or six f2 or gp2 seasons if you're Pietro fittipaldi you do some super formula some indycar some WEC. you it, it even from the very beginning of his career the first car title he won was a NASCAR regional late model thing. I think that he clinched in, I want to say North Carolina or something like that. That's not usually the typical beginning to your F1 junior CV, but it was it was for Pietro. Won that title in 2011. He won a two-liter Formula Renault category in the UK in 20, I want to say 13, no, 2014, I want to say. And that was his second season in that category. And you'll know some pretty credible Formula Renault UK champions like uh, Kimi Raikkonen, obviously, famously, Lewis Hamilton, Mike Conway, um, those kind of names. But that that wasn't the same Formula Renault UK. Like the, the main Formula Renault UK was dead by then and the British, the Bark run one basically replaced it. And it wasn't exactly a vintage grid, but he did win 10 races, uh, 10, 10, 10 races out of 15, so... Now, that's not so bad, but you can only beat what's in front of you, and he did that season. Same goes for the off-season MRF Challenge title. MRF Challenge is this uh, kind of like the Toyota Racing Series, maybe slightly lower profile, this usually India or Middle East-based championship that is run for juniors in the off-season to get some practice in while the main championships aren't, aren't running. And that year... I think his main full-time opposition was, I think the closest rival to him was Tatiana Calderon, if I'm not mistaken. And there were a few pretty notable guest drivers and he, he fared really well, but at the same time, it it wasn't the strongest, even MRF challenge grid, and it wasn't the strongest off-season grid that you'll find around. And finally, as, you, as you've mentioned, obviously, the uh, the 3.5 title, that was the final season of the championship that was known in the past as World Series by Renault, Formula Renault 3.5, that produced a ton of great champions, but it was it was very clearly winding down by that point, and that was definitely one of its weaker grids, if not the weakest in in the decade or so preceding. Um, he he won it convincingly. He was probably with the quickest team, the Czech Charuz outfit that ran in Lotus colors for some reason for most of its history and he was he was very impressive he was pretty clearly the the quickest driver on that grid apart from ganassi indycar newcomer alex Palou, who joined for a couple of rounds and looked amazing but it like the main names that you'll think of when you look at that grid you'll be like oh alfonso Celis, oh roy nisani oh rene benza now those guys are f1 caliber or particularly close to it hope they don't listen to this and get offended so yeah well done it's a, it's a title nobody's taking the title away but it's it's not something that you use an f1 as an f1 calling card and i i don't think pietro has an, an obvious f1 calling card on his cv i guess the encouraging thing is that the team is confident enough to put him in now 
he has a super license. A big chunk of that is the the three point five points, but also he had that Asian F three, I think, a fifth place in the Winter Series that that tops him up. So he's he's qualified by that. He's driven the Haas, not this year's Haas, but he's driven the Haas F one car. I think he's had seven test days, racked up quite a bit of mileage. He drove the the eighteen car and mainly the nineteen car. So he knows the team. He's been working with the team. Often we do see drivers who are nominally reserve drivers or test drivers when they're needed. Suddenly they're not used mysteriously. But the fact that Haas has been quite happy to throw him in and not thought, oh, not quite sure about him. We'll we'll get Nico Hulkenberg on the phone or or somebody who has more relevant F1 experience. I guess speaks volumes of the the confidence they have in his ability just to do a safe, sensible job, because obviously the last thing they need to do is go around destroying cars so that they can be confident he's not going to do that. I mean, Haas will know for a fact that he will be on pace. They won't need to coach and prepare him as much as they would a like a current F2 Ferrari-backed star. Like, obviously, in a dream world, you'd, you'd look for Robert Schwartzman, I guess, or a Cal Milot, or you'd give Mick Schumacher an early F1 debut. But if, if you just look at it, at the, at the opportunity for what it is. I mean, they're going to be driving at a, at a crazy new F1 layout. If you put in a guy with no experience whatsoever, then on top of learning Bahrain Outer, which looks mental, they'll have to learn how to operate within the team. It's like, if you're a, if you're an F, uh, an F2 driver who has like a realistic, a very likely F1 shot, I'm not sure this is the sort of opportunity that you, you want to make your F1 debut in. Whereas Pietro, he's he's shown that he's always willing and always very excited and enthusiastic to be driving all sorts of high-power machinery in all sorts of circumstances. And yeah, I think he'll really, really relish this chance. And I think he'll do a, a good, safe, competent job for Haas. I don't think he'll be beating Kevin Magnussen for pace. But the thing is, I don't think Haas needs somebody who might be beating Kevin Magnussen for pace because that car is not finishing in the points on merit especially at Bahrain Outer with a Ferrari power unit. So they they need a guy who will do a competent job, who will keep it out of harm's way, who will follow all the rules, who will enjoy the experience, be motivated, enthusiastic, and who will, in case it goes nuts, who will be able to benefit and stay on the track and bank whatever he can bank from it. And honestly, I think Pietro is that guy, even if... Maybe there are, obviously there are guys around with more more of an F1-like track record than he is. In many ways, it's a great situation for him because while nobody wants to make an F1 debut with no preparation in the worst car in the field, but he's a driver who nobody's linking to F1 seats, who people have heard of him, but to all intents and purposes, he hasn't been heard of as an F1 driver. And I imagine his name will have come as a surprise to quite a lot of people uh, who just follow Formula One. But nobody's expecting anything. So anything he does do, even just driving around at the back, off the back, safely, is an enhancement for his reputation, isn't it? So from that perspective, that it's absolutely zero pressure. We have sometimes seen drivers in these sorts of situations pull something out of the bag. The classic example, I, I'm, I don't think, Pietro Fittipaldi is, is, is as good as, as this driver, but when Kamui Kobayashi had those two races for Toyota, his single-seater career in Europe was was done and dusted. He'd had two disappointing seasons in GP2, aside from the GP2 Asia title. That was just his bonus, but suddenly he performed really well, scored points in Abu Dhabi, drove well at Interlagos, and then suddenly he's got an F1 career. 
and did a very good job. So I guess that's what a driver like Fittipaldi has to look at, doesn't he? And if nothing else, getting an F1 race on your CV is, is a good thing because there is something a little bit special about having been a Grand Prix driver. I think he deserves credit for jumping at the opportunity because honestly, even even though obviously an F1 races races any young driver's dream, if you look at Bahrain Outer and that being the circumstance in which you make her debut, I'd find that a bit daunting, but obviously he's a very enthusiastic guy. And yeah, he could he could very well surprise. He could surprise me, he could surprise a lot of people. Maybe the high powered car suits him a bit more, maybe you know, he did finish in the top 10 in IndyCar, and he did qualify in the top 10 in IndyCar, which proves he is no chump by any by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, maybe this will be exactly the the right sort of atmosphere for him to, to make his mark, to impress a lot of people. Do I see him as a full-time F1 driver in the future? Not really, no. Do I see him as a very capable professional racing driver whose CV will be enhanced by a decent job on a on an F1 outing that he didn't expect, but that he got. Yeah, absolutely. It will help him continue to build this very bizarre CV for a 24-year-old, everything he's done. And it's one of those ones that you think of what he's done, and then you think of another series and another series. Obviously, you talked about it earlier. So we can't doubt the fact he's adaptable and willing to, to give everything a go. And yeah, I guess that will stand him in good stead. And the Haas isn't a bad car to be in in terms of how easy it is to get on top of the driver's say it doesn't have any massive vices it's just not a great car particularly because the engine isn't very competitive so it's one he's got half a chance of getting into and making sense of and he can just chip away at that gap to Magnussen and that'll just be it won't it each time he goes out you want to get a little bit closer and see where it shakes out in the end well if if I'm not mistaken also there's particular pessimism from the team about its Bahrain outer form isn't there like they're not expecting much at all even compared to the rest of the season from that track if i'm not mistaken yeah it's very difficult with Haas because the Haas it's not been developed it was never good and so it, it is a step back you saw the, the pace difference so yeah it, it's it's not going to be Haas's best track but there's no such thing as a really a Haas best track it's, it's all it's all different versions of uh, of bad but but good for good for him to uh, to have a go and I guess there's a chance he might get a second outing in Abu Dhabi as well. So it's just down to him to make the most of it. And perhaps that can continue as an ongoing role with the team. And you never know when when things might crop up in the future. Uh, it might be a bit of a, I wouldn't say, it might be a bit of a strange thought, maybe not the right time for it. But I remember even before Roman's crash, I, you know, listening to how he felt after qualifying and after practice, a driver with a few F1 podiums and a, you know, a pretty F1, impressive F1 career after all, even if it's had its ups and downs, definitely. There was the sense that the journey was already over, that there was n- nothing in these final three or two races was going to change the perception of his F1 career, was going to enhance it in any meaningful way because the, the car is not really a points contender and it, it didn't feel like he was getting a ton out of it. And it just felt like it was sort of a sour, low-key end to what has otherwise been a fairly pleasant tenure with Haas, at least the way it begun. Um, I'm, I'm obviously not at all, not for a second happy that he, he's had the crash and I'm delighted that he's emerged relatively unscathed. But also, it is it is good that he's choosing to rest up and it, it, is, it is good that somebody who 
might get more positive emotions from driving that car at Bahrain outer and maybe Abu Dhabi will will step in. Yeah, that's that's true. I guess we should just do an update on him because obviously we knew a little bit about it when we recorded our previous podcast episode on on Sunday night where we talked in depth about the crash. He's got second degree burns on his hands. So it's a question of how long it takes that to heal up. It's obviously going to be difficult given the hands are a pretty important tool for the uh, for the racing driver. So uh, that's a question mark. He's due to be discharged uh, as of the time of recording on Tuesday. That's what that's what they've said. So he's he's in that situation where, considering the size of the accident, he's basically all right. But it's not long to Abu Dhabi. So yeah, I think it's it's going to have to be touch and go. And as you as you touched on there as well, whether he wants to go. I hope he gets out of Abu Dhabi because you know he's a good guy, Grosjean. He's had a fine Grand Prix career. A little bit unfulfilled in a in a way, but when he's good, he's he's really good. So it'd be nice for him to have a have a farewell. But then again, some drive some drivers don't get a farewell. Some drivers like Felipe Massa get two of them. So uh, you know <laughs> that's just the the way it is. But thanks very much, Val, for your insight into all things Pietro Fittipaldi. It's going to be fascinating to see how he gets on. Like we say, nothing to lose. So uh, so good luck to him. If nothing else, it'll be a nice weekend out for him. And of course, the famous Fittipaldi name. So thanks very much. And we'll speak to you on the podcast again soon. Well, I'm very pleased to say now I'm joined by Lito Cavalcanti, a veteran Brazilian motorsport journalist. He's seen them all, all the great Brazilian drivers over the years, going back a long way, all the way back to Emerson Fittipaldi and, and even earlier. So another generation of Fittipaldis and a Brazilian driver on the grid for the first time since Felipe Massa retired at the end of 2017. So how how big a deal is this in Brazil? Is this big news today when it was confirmed? Yes, uh, Ed. First of all, thank you for bringing me here. It's been a pleasure. Um, congratulations for uh, the race. It's getting better and better and better. Uh, about... about uh, Pietro Fittipaldi's chance to drive in Formula One, it's been received with joy, with plenty of joy in Brazil. It's been quite emotional to have a Fittipaldi family back in Formula One. He's uh, in the third generation, uh, the family is in its third generation, rich in Formula One. We had uh, in first generation Emerson and Wilson, and then we had Christian, and now we have uh, Pietro, Emerson's uh, grandson. Uh, there is a, no doubt a joy, but I still didn't feel the, the reactions of the white public because it's that this news got here in Brazil about five hours ago, and today is a working day. But at, at night, I'm sure, at evening, I'm sure, uh, there will be some strong reactions. But the motorsport... Uh, environment is facing it uh, with confident joy and very conscient joy. Uh, they know the car has its limitations. It's not a Mercedes car. And so all they hope for is that he can get close to Kevin Magnussen's car, to Kevin Magnussen's times. Uh, it's quite clear for those who know motorsports that Magnussen is a very fast driver. He's a tough driver. He's uh, a tough parameter. And if Pietro uh, gets to be close to him, it will be uh, very joyful for the Brazilian motorsport 
ambient. It's an interesting one because quite often the pressure on Formula One drivers in Brazil is is very high because we had this period where Felipe Massa or Rubens got some criticism because they weren't quite a Senna or a Fittipaldi, even though they were <laughs> they were very good. And obviously Pietro will be at the back because it's the slowest car in Formula One ultimately, and he's being thrown in. But but it, I guess it's positive that there's that there's a good outlook, I guess, for him. But this is the big question, isn't it? Once it goes out more to the, the general public, whether the pressure will suddenly build and they'll expect him to be qualifying in the middle of the pack or, or something un- unrealistic like that. Yeah, I, I, I believe that he's not free of this kind of reaction from, from the general public. But the public who has got some motorsport knowledge, it's okay. It's okay. They, they are very, it's very clear for everybody who has some uh, knowledge about it, that there's no miracle. And if he gets close to Magnussen, it will be great for him. Now, the wide public, you know, well, we never know how they react. Or better, we know how they react. And it's not, it's mostly an emotional reaction. Anyway, uh, I think he's got no pressure beyond the self-pressure, the one that he's going to impose himself. Well, Emerson Fittipaldi, Pietro's grandfather, was the start of the Brazilian superstar drivers being successful in Formula One. He's second only to Senna in the hearts and minds of Brazil. So having this fourth Fittipaldi in F1 must add a lot to the story over there as well. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. You're, you're, you're sure about it. Uh, Emerson is still seen like the pioneer, like the one who opened the doors, who showed uh, Brazilians to Formula One, and also who showed Formula One to Brazil. And he still stands high in, in Brazilian motorsport memory, even in the general public memory. Uh, he's uh, very uh, loved here, down here. And even with some problems he may have been facing in the last years, he's still uh, rated as one of the greatest champions. Well, he's uh, we have three Formula One champions. He still stands, stands as high as Piquet and Senna. Uh, so uh, the bringing back the Fittipaldi name uh, to the to the fore, to the center of the stage, that's Formula One. Uh, it's it's been quite well received, quite well seen. As I told you, uh, there's a there are two kinds of reactions: those who know and those who just expect miracles. And looking at Pietro himself, because we have to judge him as, as a driver, what do you make of him? When, when did you first become aware of him? Because obviously, usually you uh, you spot the Brazilian drivers almost before they make a name in Europe, whether they're doing karting, that kind of thing. So what, what do you know about him? What, what have you seen from him over the years? Well, I, I've just learned there was a new Fittipaldi coming. He should be about, it should be about, 15 years ago, when he started, when Emerson brought him to make some kart races down here in, at Interlagos. And I saw the kid there. I, I went one, one day to, to the kart track just to, to watch him. Uh, he's quite a nice kid. Uh, well, he's a kid for me. And he's, he's very committed to the, to the, to the job. And still he didn't get uh, the results that we can expect when we hear the Fittipaldi name. 
The last time he raced was in the beginning of this year. He was doing the Asian Formula 3. But his, his purpose at those days was just to get enough points to reach uh, the total super, lic super license requires. Well, mm, let's see, let's see. I, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid he may be a little rusty, but we've got to take it and we've got to consider this and about our expectations. He's, he's very, very serious about it. He's committed. He really, really wants to make it as high as possible. And now he's got a good chance. The fact that he's done so much and that he, like you say, takes it very seriously has to be a big help, doesn't it? Because Hass has entrusted him with, with their car. They've worked with him, so they know what he's like. He hasn't driven this year's car, but he has driven the previous cars. So that in itself is a show of confidence that he's at least seen as a, as a sensible driver to put in. So I guess that's his strength, isn't it? The fact that he is quite professional, even if he's maybe not the quickest driver there's ever been coming out of Brazil. Oh, yes. It's, it's always been, since he was uh, a kid in his earliest, early steps, uh, it was quite evident. Uh, he works really, really hard. Uh, I think he knows he's not the most talented driver has ever been on, on earth. I think he's got to work hard and re he really, he's really read to do it. Uh, he's been working on simulator for Haas for quite a while. He's, he hasn't been uh, so much on the real car. Uh, I think he's done about six, six test days. I can see him in his file. Uh, last season, he did uh, six days. It was about uh, 1,881 kilometers. Uh, of course, it's not enough. It's been uh, quite quite early, considering the day he's going to sit in the car. And it's not the same car. Uh, as long as we can see, this season's car is not uh, comparing comparing with the other cars. It's not the set as good as the other one was. Anyway, it should be a better car. And he knows, he should know, because he's been on the simulator for many, many hours this season. And I think I think he, he can be uh, as good as a third driver as a third driver can be. Now let's see what he can do on the real thing. And do you expect this to be a big story the weekend for Brazil, will there be more people watching because of this, even though he's going to be at the back? Because obviously it's been a quiet few years for your part of the world in terms of Formula One. So is this, do you, do you, get, do you expect this to energise people, even if you can't quite judge yet how excited people are? Well, uh, no doubt, no doubt. There's uh, uh, some people who are quite excited about it, about his maiden Formula One race. And there's a, a, a hope for a miracle, uh, but there's also the conscience that there are no miracles. And, and no doubt Brazilian public is, is expecting for the weekend, um, waiting for the weekend with high expectations, but not about his performance. And just to, to see him there, just to, to see him start and finish the race so he can accumulate some miles to to get some experience and of course uh, to to get a little better 
image in Formula One so he can maybe in the future have a, a better, well, a good option. It may be Haas, okay, as long as, anyway, uh, the expectation, the hope is that he can get a better car uh, in Formula One. At, at first, get a car to, to race in Formula One and a better car than Haas has been. It may be a Haas, it may be whatever. They just want to have him back in a better condition than he will have next weekend. Well, that's a key, isn't it? Just get yourself into being thought of as a potential Formula One driver, which up to this point, I guess, hasn't really been the case. But I guess that the last point is it's it's a bit of a surprise, maybe, that he's a driver who hasn't had maybe the best opportunities in motorsport, in that he's had lots of programs here and there, but he's not had the the kind of big ticket seasons in Formula Two in Formula 3 as is now etc so that's the one thing that's slightly surprising because from a European perspective you might think the Fittipaldi name Brazil loves Formula 1 he'd have no problem getting sponsorship but why do you think it's been quite difficult for him and and does the fact that he's managed to get to this point doing such a strange career trajectory does that perhaps speak for his professionalism that he's made it this far well uh, he hasn't uh, had great results. Uh, well, in 17, 2017, he was champion in World Series Formula V8, the old Super Renault. Uh, but it wasn't the toughest uh, field he faced. Uh, but I think uh, his, his, his career has been coming and going from USA to Europe, and I think it will never help someone. But uh, I'm, I'm afraid it happened because he didn't have the funds to concentrate in, in, in European motorsports and to to be in the best teams. You know, uh, the better the team the team gets, uh, the more expensive it gets too. So it runs parallelly: the quality of the team and the the price, the the money they require to have a driver. Uh, and anyway. Uh, Maybe his experience, maybe, just maybe, I'm just wondering, maybe his experience in Novo Series with IndyCars maybe can be uh, a help to make him feel a little more at home in this track. Well, it's not a Novo, but it's not so far from a Novo. Uh, There are few corners, there are long straights. He He should have some knowledge of drafting. So let's see what can happen. But anyway, not spatting that that much. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how he gets on and great to have Brazil back in Formula One. So thanks very much, Lito Cavacanti, for your insights. Always great to speak to you. If you've enjoyed Lito, have a listen to our Bring Back V10s episode, looking back at Ayrton Senna's last Brazilian Grand Prix, which Lito was an excellent guest on. Yeah, and definitely get you back on a podcast again in the future. So thanks very much, Lito. Okay, okay. Well, hopefully this has given you a good feel for what to expect from Pietro Fittipaldi. It's always fascinating to see a driver making their F1 debut, and even though this is in less than ideal circumstances, and get well soon, Roman Grosjean, it'll be a story well worth following on the race's website during the Sikir Grand Prix weekend. 
So do head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen. Also check out our YouTube channel, just search for The Race and we've got a great video looking at how Grosjean survived the Fireball Bahrain F1 crash there. And also check out our sister podcasts, including Bring Back V10s and that episode about Ayrton Senna's final Brazilian Grand Prix that I mentioned in the chat with Lito. Thanks for listening. We'll be back after the race on Sunday for an in-depth look at all the stories from the Sakia Grand Prix.